Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, we are thrilled to have uh, one of my now longtime friends on the show, Clay Blanchard. Welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, Jeremy? Doing great. And we have our co-host, Jenna Sachs, who's the director of sales strategy here at SalesLoft. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Clay. Uh, so Clay is the vice president of sales operations at Calibra. I met Clay back when he was at LinkedIn, where he uh, held a similar similar role. He was senior director of sales ops there for almost six years and spent almost six years before that at Salesforce. So the dude has been in the game for a long time. I, I consider him not just a friend, but also a mentor. So I'm super thrilled to have him on the show. Before, Clay, we get into the meat of today's conversation, which will be a lot around how to get more value out of your tools. And we'll talk a bit about account planning as well. Love to get to know you a little bit. And we ask our guests uh, one of a series of questions, but I'm always interested these days in hobbies because I'm constantly on the lookout for new hobbies for myself, I suppose. So what's what's a hobby that's taken your fancy in the last couple of years? Yeah, well, I'll give you a few because some are are more interesting than others. So I my my longer term hobby is I've been I've been struggling with the acoustic guitar for many years. I don't know how good I am at it, but it's for me exclusively. Um, I, I'm not performing for anyone else, but it's a form of meditation, and um, you know, I, I play and sing. That's one of the things that's kept me sane. I think maybe a little more interesting and less common is, um, so I have a couple of kids and and um, we've been getting a little old school with some of the toys we've been using. There are two in particular that have been really fun recently. One is Hacky Sack. It's basically a small bag of dirt that you kick around. It's like 10 bucks for one of these things and it's hours of entertainment and a little bit of exercise and I can do it with my kids. I can do it alone. So we've been having a ball with that. The other one is the Rubik's Cube. My son recently taught me how to solve a Rubik's Cube. It's fun. And, and for me, actually, it's been you know, a great way for me to engage with my son. And he, he taught me how to do it. It'll be, it's the first time, I'm sure, of many to come where I'm not teaching him. He's teaching me. Having fun with those. Uh, well, there's a couple that I'm I'm jealous of. I do need to learn how to solve the Rubik's Cube. And I, I could use a little more coordination. So the hacky sack would be, would be useful. Well, yeah, so we, we, we talked about like getting value out of tools. So maybe, maybe to frame this, right, if I start with like how many tools does your team roughly order of magnitude have to manage and be responsible for? You know, at, at Calibra, we, we kind of divide and conquer in terms of roles and responsibilities. So there are a number of folks uh, on our team that are, engage with our sales tech. So our IT team is, is owning, generally owning the administration of these tools. So CRM admin, of course, but admin on tool sits with IT. Our enablement team is deeply engaged in, in making sure we've got content and resources to ensure that folks know how to use the tools. And then you know, my team is, is really responsible for, I would call it uh, strategy and direction uh, for our tools. What are the, the areas of opportunity or pain points that we want to address with automation? How would we stack rank and prioritize those? You know, like many companies, we've got a finite budget. So we need to be very circumspect with where we're going to invest and where we think we'll get the most ROI. 
from sales technology. So, so really, we're always listening to the business and measuring the tools that we have to see where we can get a good return. So that's, that's really our role. So it's a very much a team effort in terms of how we address tools at Calibra. How frequently do you specify, hey, we need a tool for this, as opposed to somebody else in the business coming to you and saying that we need XYZ tool? Uh, it's definitely both, Jeremy, I would say, which I like. I mean, I love to get grassroots input from sales reps and sales managers to say, hey, by the way, when it comes from the sales team, often it's a particular tool that they're familiar with that they'll introduce me to. At LinkedIn, there's a classic example. There was a, there was a company called SendBloom. You know, SendBloom was basically, you know, automated, essentially automated email campaigns that you could customize. And now it's a, it's a functionality that um, a number of vendors, certainly Outreach and, and SalesLoft, obviously have, have that capability. But at the time, what happened was, you know, a couple of reps on the team started using this thing and it caught like wildfire. And those examples are incredibly valuable to an ops team because I value pull over push any day. You know, how do you get value out of sales technology is by usage and adoption. And what better way to be certain that you're going to get usage and adoption than to have the, the sales team themselves be the ones that start with adoption and usage and then come to you after. How have you navigated that in the past? I think as ops professionals, though, there, there is a balance and, you know, just to make sure that the right tools are being used, that you don't have silos or different things going on, really finding the right tools to, to really get that blue sky process that, that you as ops want to designate. Yeah, there, there's, no, there's no simple answer to that one uh, and no simple formula. I think you want to make space for experimentation. However, if you want to make any significant investments or, or commitments to a tool, there's a lot of value in centralizing the effort. All of these tools in the sales tech world are integrating uh, increasingly, and, and you need to have a coherent sales tech stack. All the tools need to play with each other. You know, many of them, by the way, overlap now. You know, you've got all these different categories, call recording, you've got activity tracking, you have cadences and, and sequences um, of outbound. And more and more, I see sales tech vendors that are overlapping across these categories. So you have to be really cautious that you don't end up with multiple tools for the same use case. It can create a disjointed experience for the reps, and it's harder to get the team trained and get habits built. You know, coming back to the original topic, how do you get value out of tools? Well, my simple answer to that is adoption and habits. You know, the way that you get value out of a tool is that tool becomes a habit. And when it becomes a habit, you're getting more consistent usage over time. You're going deeper on the feature base. You're getting this interesting cross-fertilization between different reps and managers. So they're starting to share best practices. So you can really start to get you know, exponential value out of the tool when you have that collective community of users. So I, on a small basis, let them experiment and pilot. When you, you're deciding to go big, that's when I would centralize. When you've rolled out tools in the past and, and perhaps had adoption problems, what are some of the key things that you do in order to ensure that there's usage? 
It's never one single lever. It needs to be a steady drumbeat. It starts with this notion of building habits. Well, how do you build a habit? There's a great book called The Power of Habit. Charles Duhigg, I think, is the author. And I love the notion of finding something that you can piggyback. It's an existing workflow or process or meeting that you know is happening on a regular cadence and you attach whatever the new thing is you want, you attach it to that existing motion that's already happening. If you can do that, then whenever the the first thing happens, you know this new habit is also going to happen. And then I do think, you know, comms and awareness, when you're trying to to deploy sales technology with your sales team, like ironically, it's, it's very much like an internal marketing and sales job. And in the same way that we tell our reps, hey, you need to touch a prospect seven times or more before they before your message will land, uh, that same principle applies when you're trying to get your sales reps to pay attention to a technology. You need to hit them again and again and again with nudges and reminders and nudges and here it is and it's easy, it's right here and oh, by the way, did you see it? It's a widget in your, in your sales force. The, the good news is that most sales technologies these days are, are building this natively. They're, they show up everywhere the rep is that's very powerful in helping this process of beating the drum consistently until, so they can't avoid it. And hopefully at some point where it turns is they're like, okay, this is annoying. I keep getting reminders about this. Maybe I'll try it. And if the tool is good, if the technology is good, they try it and they, and ideally they become addicted. When you're evaluating a tool that is not necessarily brought to you by the sales team themselves, how involved do you have sales managers or sales reps in that pilot or in that evaluation process just to make sure that they have that buy-in? I would say it's absolutely critical to engage both reps and managers. I think this this happens often where you know you end up getting kind of a, a handful of reps and managers who are uh, willing volunteers. This is all kind of outside of the day job. But if you can find those people, they are so valuable because, you know, at the end of the day, you need a proxy for the people who are going to use it. You, you want to get their honest feedback, including, hey, th- this stinks or, or this is really hard or I don't think I'd ever use this. Even if it's a great tool, being able to say, look, we've vetted this with salespeople and sales managers brings a ton of credibility when you go to deploy it. This made me think about three tools that they're considered to be highly valuable, but they're notoriously challenging to deploy and drive adoption on uh, three categories of tools. One is account plans. Uh, account plans you know, have a really difficult time getting off the ground. Relationship mapping tends to also have a really difficult time getting off the ground, despite how valuable it is. And then mutual success plans. I don't think we have to talk about all of them. Maybe we focus on account plans. For you, Clay, or for you, Jenna, like, have you had experiences, and maybe Jenna, I'll start with you, like, have you had experiences deploying account plans? And I will admit to having not a lot of success with that, but have you had successful experiences with that? I haven't had a ton. I mean, most of the account planning that we've done has been custom, custom objects in Salesforce, not very cohesive across the board, a lot of manual account mapping and people mapping. I also come from pretty much a heavy partnership background. So when you're talking about alliances, you want to do mapping of partners to particular accounts and then really get those contacts in place as well. But it's it's all been relatively manual. I, I have not had much experience exploring tools around this. So I would love to hear, Clay, like anything that you have or any any insight there as if it is something that's top of mind for you at this time. 
It is top of mind. Actually, I think those those three categories you mentioned, Jeremy, to, to me, they're, they're all in a in a macro in a similar macro category. I also don't have a ton of experience with, and I haven't I haven't seen a lot of like best practice deployments on these, and that, that's part of why it's it's an interesting project for us. So we're the accounts we cover are almost exclusively large enterprise. I think account planning the pain point is most pressing when you're covering large enterprises that are complex where an opportunity and the information that you're tracking on an opportunity really is inadequate to address the broader opportunity that exists. You think about a large multinational with hundreds of subsidiaries, you really need some place where you can discuss as a broader account team, what is our strategy for mining in here? You know, where are the buying circles and where do we have a footprint and where do we need to to, to make progress on this account. So we're, we're just embarking on this process and I'm actually doing a lot of learning. I'm in, I'm in learning mode here. And, and in the past, what we've done here and actually what we did at LinkedIn too is, you know, sadly, decks, you know, slides. In, in the best case, you insist that they post that into Salesforce and then, you know, managers and, and senior leaders can inspect those and, and drive some level of scrutiny. They're not uh, easy to collaborate on, you know, so, so really to do this well, um, you really need the entire account team to be able to engage dynamically. You need any changes that happen on the account plan need to flow in, you know, seamlessly into Salesforce and to other tools, by the way. Doing this in a slide deck is, it doesn't meet the test. Yeah, as, as you've been talking, I've been doing a postmortem on the last time I attempted account planning, which was two companies ago. The postmortem of why we of why I think that failed was there was a bunch of factors. One, the usability cannot be underestimated. Right? Is like why do people stay in slides because they're familiar with it? It's where they live. They're comfortable with it, and so on. And so we built you know the account plan in a custom object inside of Salesforce, and it was just clunky fields. The salespeople during an account review didn't feel comfortable pulling up Salesforce and scrolling through Salesforce. So that, that user experience was, was an issue for them. I think the other one, when I reflect on it, is that we didn't empower our first-line managers sufficiently and, and put expectations sufficiently on them. If I've learned anything in all these decades, it's you live and die by, by your first-line sales managers. And if they're not bought in and if they don't understand and believe, it's not going to work. And I, we undereducated them and then we never held them sufficiently accountable. I guess a third thing was we classic mistake, which is we required too many account plans per rep. Realistically, a rep can only do, I don't know, sometimes one, maybe three to five, but even five I feel is pushing it. One thing you said there that resonated for me, Jeremy, is is um, you know, the CRM there is a lot of information feeding back into the CRM from a bunch of different tools and, of course, just data entry, folks living in it every day. But you ask the average rep and they will tell you, all but the, the, the biggest Salesforce nerds will tell you that they just don't feel that comfortable navigating around in it. it it's not easy to see. It's somehow not intuitive. Even if you're on lightning, it's just not, it's not an easy way to engage. And so now there's this whole new category of tools that are just simplifying the interface. But, you know, recently, I saw a demo of a company called Lead Genius. You know, what they do is like really basic. 
they call one of the core functionalities data hub. And they just bring a bunch of, they pull in a bunch of elements that are kind of signal elements. And a lot of these people already have in tools. They've got, they've got signals coming from sales navigator. They got signals coming from third party vendors of research, you know, and so, but they just put it all in one place so you can kind of see it. And then right from there, you can, you know, you can click it into a, into a sales loft cadence, or you can, you know, there's a bunch of stuff you can do right there from your kind of control panel. What they've done, I mean, the value prop is convenience and, and usability. Uh, and so I, that really resonates. And, and, and Jeremy, I think if I had to predict the future of sales tech, oh, another, another great example is uh, Scratchpad. What is Scratchpad? Scratchpad is like, is such a simple idea. People are telling us it's hard to enter stuff into the CRM. Everything's all over the place. They're scrolling around. They're like, hey, just put it into something they recognize, like that, that looks and feels like a spreadsheet. I mean, it's, it's so basic. What's interesting with Scratchpad, right, is it's the part of Clary that I think people love the most. It's the two-way updating of Salesforce in a spreadsheet-like experience. They use business model innovation, right? They went with a PLG approach, product-led growth approach, and you know you got a certain number. You're, ba- you're hooked in once you actually integrate with your CRM, right? It's game over at that point. It's, you know, as you're talking about lead genius and uh, or just tools in general that bring data into one place, I also think about the evolution of of sales tools in general. About it's it's almost the way dashboards were. Is eventually your dashboards get cluttered and overwhelming, and you somehow need to translate that descriptive information into into more prescriptive insight. Tell me what has gone red or what is green. Like, tell me what to do out of all this massive data and. If anything, we're multiplying the amount of, of signal information. And it's actually good signal information, just hard to extract the value out of it. Well, 100%. What, so what does it mean, number one? And then now if we know what it means, how do I s- super quickly take action? And what is the next best action? And every sales technology I see these days has some version of this, right? What is the NBA? What's the next best action from here? And in an ideal world, you don't just tell them what it is. It's like you make it super simple for them to just execute. So, hey, here's a bunch of accounts that are showing strong signal. Two clicks and you've got a, you've got a sequence launched against those. Like you can imagine the efficiency that a rep can get when they can take action that quickly. And the action is when you add that automation. You now, like in the space of an hour, if you were doing that kind of work, what used to take in the past, like, Many multiple like campaigns now, like in, in an hour, a single rep could basically launch their own campaigns and get multiple touches on a whole bunch of high propensity accounts. I mean, that's incredible. Agreed. You know, we've been talking so much about rep tools. No, nothing is broken through yet on tools for first line managers, right? You've got like tools for execs and for rev ops. You've got tools for reps and SDRs. There are some tools out there that are designed for managers, but nothing yet is broken through as the manager workflow tool that tells you what to do. To me, that's a fascinating space. I don't know, Clay or Jenna, if you've run across anybody who's besides Atrium, who's really playing in that space. I haven't. And I do, I do think increasingly, and I guess this has been true for a long time, frontline manager is your, your leverage point in the sales organization. It also means that that job, I think there may be very few more challenging jobs than the job of a frontline manager, because um, especially if you, if you think about the enterprise space, because they also are deeply engaged on all the deals. In our world, 
the managers are deeply engaged on the deal. So, so they are both rep and manager. They're driving all of the key priorities for the company. They are helping to communicate and educate their team of reps. So everything really, including, by the way, building new habits around tools, goes through them as a, as a gate. And so trying to figure out how we take unnecessary administrative stuff off their plate, how we make their lives easier elsewhere so that we're getting the maximum value. That, that is a, that's a huge problem statement. And I, I don't know a single company that doesn't struggle with this. Yeah, I, th- I feel like you have, there needs to be a really strong partnership with ops and first line managers. I think a lot of the time we tend to partner and try to be more strategic with really the, the leaders of the sales or, like, or the, the top of the top, oftentimes that is neglectful of what are the needs of the first line managers? What are they seeing? And to Clay's point, those are going to be the people that are driving adoption. I've I've rolled out tools. If we hadn't had the, the buy-in from those first line managers, then we wouldn't have buy-in at all. And I feel like there's a balance, especially being in ops between being, you know, you're the cheerleader for those managers and helping them hit their goals while also doing what's right for the business and maybe setting that higher quota, making a process that's seemingly difficult, but really needing their buy-in to show the reps how it is achieved and how they will be successful and get to that quota or, you know, conquer that new process and how it's going to make their lives easier. Well, as we get to the end, the the last question, Clay, I wanted to ask you is some advice for listeners on longevity. And the reason I I want to ask you this specifically, right, is as I mentioned, you spent nearly six years at LinkedIn, you spent nearly six years at Salesforce. So many people tend to in sales and sales operations and AEs, what have you, you know, they, the sort of average tenure is two to three years. So what, what do you do to keep yourself inspired and motivated to fight the good fight for six years? Yeah. Uh, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, some, some days I feel inspired and motivated and, and other days I don't, if you're building a career in ops and if you find that the work is stimulating, I would say, you know, treat it like a marathon and not a sprint. It's easier said than done. Our, our stakeholders are, I mean, everything is tied to the top line and, and therefore everything is, is a five alarm fire. You need to kind of calibrate and acclimate yourself to that environment. But I do think that there are ways over time that you can keep it on an even keel and make it sustainable. Part of the way that I thought about it, I mean, certainly at LinkedIn and again here at Calibra is you need to actively look at, if you look at your portfolio of what you're spending your time on, you need to be very proactive about pruning your portfolio of low value activities. This is the single biggest problem for ops teams is that they allow themselves to get buried in day-to-day low value activities. And in most cases, you can do one of three things. You can either eliminate those altogether. Often those low value activities actually don't matter. And and I would suggest that my, my starting point, if you're an ops person and you're looking at your portfolio, do this test. Try not doing it for a week. See what happens. See if anything breaks. See who yells. Okay, so can you eliminate it? That's question number one. If you can't eliminate it, can you automate it? Well, now there's, we've just been talking about all these technologies. So if you can't eliminate it, a lot of these things can be automated or partially automated. If they can't be eliminated and they can't be automated, can you outsource? And so, you know, I think about things like data quality in the CRM is like this, this classic example. It's kind of like you, you got to kind of keep fighting the fight, but it's brutal. And who are you going to hire who wants to spend their days looking through 
account data. And there are companies that will help. You can outsource a lot of this work. And if you want to do, you know, if, if you have audits that you want to do at the end of every month, that's another classic example. It's like, ah, we have to do this audit. It's, it's part of our accountability regime, but it's super low value. We can't get anyone excited about it. Hey, there are a lot of companies that will take these on. And if you can put it on a single page with a set of instructions, you can outsource it. So eliminate, automate, and outsource. And, and then only if you've gone through all those options and you still don't have a solution, maybe you have to resign yourself to doing it yourself. Wise words to end on and applicable both to personal life and professional life. Brilliant. Well, Clay, we will let you get back to firefighting. Thank you so much for being on today. Yeah, thanks so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.